0: Tell you what, if you're not listening to that, you weren't singing that with joy. You're not. You're not alive this morning, are you? We need to serve coffee here. That's ex- that's exciting, isn't it? You glad to be here this morning? Yes. I am too. I'm glad to be worshiping with brothers and sisters this morning. And you know what? I'm glad to be going forward, following our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ together. Can we say that? Amen to that. Amen. We are all together on that, amen. folks. We got a lot ahead of us. We've got a lot ahead of us to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but he's the one that's leading us. Do you understand that, too? And all we're doing is following. Um, I'm going to say more to you about that later on leading, but this morning I want us to keep on doing what we're doing in in Hebrews. Uh, This is too great a book to take time out, so I'm going to kind of maybe go a little bit faster didn't hear one amen okay well good that's good that's really good we're in Hebrews 2 and if you have a uh, don't have your Bible with you this morning uh, have someone next to you share their Bible or there should be some right there in the pew with you I'm I'm reading this morning from the same version you have in in front of you in the pew But we're going to begin in Hebrews 2 and we're just going to talk about five verses this morning and we're going to finish up chapter 2 but uh, this is really a great book because you know it's all about our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's who we're here to praise and serve. Let's go to him in prayer this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are indeed our Savior. You are our Redeemer. You are the one who loves us. You're our brother. And you're our God and you're our Lord. Lord, all these things to people who don't deserve it all of us lord born sinners but lord we are saved by your grace and by your love and as you we come this morning to praise and to meet oh lord as we open your word in front of us and as we hear your word i pray lord that it is your word that our hearts are pierced and we leave here this morning lord loving you more than when we came in we're dedicated to serving you as you lead us. And Lord, now open our hearts and our minds to your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to, I'm going to begin in verse 11. Like I said, we're going to fo- focus this morning in verses 14 through at the end of the book, of the end of this chapter. Verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Verse 14. Since the children... Have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, for the reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. May God had his blessing to the reading of his word. This has been a week, hasn't it? I want you to know that. Let me, tell, let me make a confession. I'm going to go off script here just a minute. When, when, when you When you prepare sermons. You spend a lot of time saying, Lord, what are you leading us to? And you want to exegete it. That means you want to take what he says, not what I think, and put back in it. But you want to take what he says. That means you leave all your baggage behind you when you prepare this word so that you can get God's word and we're all going to share it together. It's his word and nobody else's. So when I came to this part, I said, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Because you know what? This passage that we're going to read this morning talks about Death. That's a hard thing to talk about. About you know slavery. Actually, it doesn't talk about death so much as it does the slave being, being slaved to the fear of death, which it seems everybody has. I said, what kind of introduction I could have? And then that horrible tragedy happened in Texas last week, and it was indeed horrible. Twenty six humans. I say twenty six. CNN says twenty five one of them was still in the womb 26 human lives that god made were destroyed were taken away and were killed it's been interesting to see the response of the people who are alive today a lot of them you know say okay well let's rise up so we can keep this from happening again you know what death happens to everybody tragedy like this yeah that's that's bad too but you know what people's said a lot of things this week that made me think okay they're ignoring the fact that death is real this forces us to face the reality of death doesn't it these are hard things to talk about but it does we're all going to be faced with it and the people that responded this week a lot of them were shocked a lot of them were mad and a lot of them worried thinking this could happen to everybody so you get that fear of death we, that we're all get involved in at some point in time. And this passage talks about this being enslaved to the fear of death. You know what? I've always admired evangelists. I don't know if you noticed. Billy Graham turned 99 on Tuesday. One of my favorite evangelists of all time. It's probably won more people or had more people come to Jesus Christ by his, by his public preaching than I think probably anybody else, any other human that's ever lived. And did you ever listen to his sermons? Yeah. You heard him preach? He always says, everybody is going to die. Death is inevitable. That's in every one of his sermons. So it's this fear of death that he really preaches about. And you know what? His audiences, a lot of them that come to him, are they, they are terrified of dying. They're afraid of it. His question is always, so how are you going to deal with it? Because there's only two choices about death. Two things that are going to happen at death. You're either going to be in heaven or you're going to be in hell. And then he explains how to avoid eternal death and have eternal life through the Savior Jesus Christ. Which is exactly the way God planned it, and the way that God teaches it. Of course, a lot of people out there they ignore this thing, this fear of death, and they uh, they declare, "Well, there's really not any life after death. I can't see it. I can't reason it. I can't really be real, you know." So I'm just going to kind of ignore it, you know, the old Epicurean, eat, was it? eat, drink, and be merry for the more for tomorrow you may die. So, you know what, all I'm really going to, the only thing that bothers me about death, if I'm, that thought process, is that it's just a sad thing. You know, I'm going to enjoy all the good things that I can find in this life and enjoy them while I can. And the only sad thing about dying is that I won't have those anymore. I'll just fade off into nothingness. Right now, I'm just going to enjoy the good stuff. You know anybody like that? (laughs) Yeah. No one's being honest about that, are they? But let me tell you what God says that we are to be aware that there is an eternity. Class Ecclesiastes three eleven says He has also said eternity in the hearts of men. So there's no excuse. Life is eternal. So what's it going to be? You know, my friend says smoking or non smoking. You know, what is it? There's a choice there. And they, they can't even think about it rest of the Ecclesiastes it says that they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Can't even understand it. But it's said in our hearts that it's real. God wants us as his family, as his children. He is just, and, he, and he's holy, and he, he is love. First John says that, doesn't it? He's the only one worthy of our love and our worship forever. And God says... That at the end of our lives we're going to have to give an account of how we've lived it, and we're going to have to give that to the eternal and holy and just and infinite God. Every one of us has to do that. Romans two fifteen tells us that every life has the law; of, uh, every life has the law of God testifying in their conscience. So you can't ignore it. It's very real. It's part of being human. You know what? It comes with the package that we have this fear of death. We don't have to be a slave to it, though. You know what? Can I, can I, again, just do a little excursus here? We were talking this morning in Sunday school about slavery. And I think it's important we understand what slavery really is, the way that God planned it. Did you know this? God made provision for slavery. That's a shocker, isn't it? We think about, you know, the guys in the Cecil B. DeMille movie, you know, with the ropes over there singing ba dum you know, dragging big rocks and stones and that sort of thing, that kind of slavery. Let me tell you how God set up slavery. If somebody did something wrong to a brother, and by the way, it was meant for the family. So if someone in the family did something wrong against someone else in the family, then they were to repay them. If they didn't have a way to repay them, they had to work it out for them as a slave until it was paid off. Does that make sense? makes sense how slavery really worked. However, you know, there's bad taskmasters or owners because you actually became owned by that person. So there's bad owners and there's good owners. If you made a big mistake and you got indebted to someone who was a bad owner – you earned less wages and took longer to pay it off. Makes sense? But once you had your debt paid off, then you could go back to being your birth. Now, here's the problem. All of us were born in sin because Adam and Eve goofed a long time ago, right? And they sinned, and so the debt had to be paid back. They actually sinned against God when they left him, and they became slaves to death and therefore the the fear of death. Does that make more sense now about how all the slavery things work? You and I are are born into the family. Here's another thing. If the debt didn't get paid off, then it goes with the family. So if someone is born to a family that's enslaved, they're part of that paying it off. Whoa. So you and I were born into a family that was enslaved to sin separation from God so here we are all of us slaves to sin we need to be get we need to get out of this here's the thing we can't really ever work our way out of this this debt because the wages of sin is death whoa caught here aren't we how are we going to get out of this mess we need someone to come along and buy us out to become their slave we need a redeemer Someone to redeem us and pay off that debt. I won't go any more into that, but here's just know this too. By the way, you'll find that, all those rules in that part of the Bible we never read. Leviticus, you know, all those rules and everything. You find it explained. Sometimes it's a good idea to read that, isn't it? So part of being human and part of being of the, the package that we're born into is that we're built we have this built in fear of death and we're also born into sin, aren't we? So everyone has this conscience of dying and and, and giving an account before God. They had this fear of death. And what they need is something they can hold it up against, something that gives them the truth. My point is everyone is a slave to the fear of death no matter if they ignore it or they deny it or they run away from it or they just check out it's still there we still aren't going to be accountable someday that's what this text is all about there's so much here you know what we could spend a long time on the, on this text one word a week maybe i don't know we're not going to do that um we're just going to focus on these few words this morning and finish it up. Let I me mean, tell you what, there's a whole lot of scripture we need to dwell on outside of Hebrews so that we can know about our fellowship of Jesus, right? I didn't say fellowship, folks. I hope we're all here for the fellowship. We're going to follow Jesus Christ. I have an amen on anybody here. Yeah, that's why we're here? Good. So we're going to move quickly through this text in order to uh, get on with our walk. And, and this text is kind, of, kind of neat because it's, a walk, it's about the, the walk of a little church, this little Hebrew church. And there is a deliverance from enslavement in this passage that, that gives us the plan through it and the process. There's a plan with the process. I know a lot of us like to have everything in a box. It's here. How we, how we make it through all of that? Look at verses 14 and 15 with me. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. You know what? I don't know if you know, but one thing we all have in common as humans is that we have flesh and blood. Okay. I guess you can—you want to make that a note. That's okay. I'm kidding. That's a distinctive characteristic, though, from what we've seen that, that he's writing his little church about before. That makes us different than the angels. It makes us different than, than, than his other creations, doesn't it? We are flesh and blood physically in all of this. They're spiritual. So we're, we have this flesh and blood thing going for us. And in verse 13, Jesus was quoted as saying, Here am I and the children, of God, children God has given me. And then the children of God given to Jesus, it was back up in verse 13, are human and they share as humans in flesh and blood. They are not angels or heavenly creatures. They have a human nature. And part of our nature is this flesh and blood thing. Christ became human. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. It says so right here what we're reading. The Son of God, uh, we read about in chapter one, who made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. He had a different nature; he was in a different nature then. And I got to tell you, the the, the, the Son of God—this is part of the mystery—that the Son of God was a new creation. With excuse me, was not a new creation in the manger in Bethlehem. He had been around for what? Since the beginning, now, and forevermore. He's always been here. He always is. But the children he loved and wanted to save were human with flesh and blood. So he took our nature. Philippians 2.7 says, who being in every nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness." And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He took on the same human nature that you and I have. So Jesus was actually God and actually man. This is a ministry that only God the Creator could do. And how did we really understand all of it? I don't think I have an answer for you that this morning. But know this, Jesus is God and Jesus is was man took on our nature and here's the really amazing part christ became a human so that he could die think about that christ became a human like in me like you and me so he could die god can't die there's another mystery figure that out another time Since the children have flesh and blood, verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. In his nature as God, Christ's life was indestructible. You can find that in Hebrews 7, 16. It says that. He could not die. But death was necessary To deal with guilt and the punishment of sin. The sin that we have, and that's another thing you're going to find if you read through Leviticus and all those laws, is that God needed to be appeased. And he he, he could be appeased for our sins if we offered life. It had to be the best life they could find. But they they had to offer that, but it was only temporary. It was just, that's why he had, he had all these priests and everything to do it exactly the way he said so that they know everybody's still paying attention. They still know that he's God. So life had to be sacrificed so they'd know that that's that's what appeased God. So since he couldn't die, but nece- death was necessary with guilt and punishment of sin, God set up those rules so he could pour out his Wrath on that. That's what he did when that life was consumed. So Christ being human so that he could became human so he could die. And let me tell you what, that's the perfect demonstration of love, isn't it? He took on life and death as a human so he could demonstrate his love. And so we could be redeemed. It's the only way we could be redeemed into the family of God back. It took God's wrath being poured out on our sins to destroy them once and for all. And dying, Christ proved his supreme power over the devil, who has his power, is death. So that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, and that is the devil. That's the last part of verse 14. So in in dying, Christ completely defeated the power of death that Satan holds. He took it all away from him. Um, How did he do that? How does that work? Hang on. We're going to find out here in just a minute. But for now, just know that the apparent defeat of death was a killer blow to Satan. The death blow. How about the death blow to, to the death holder or whatever? And we'll make that in another sermon work that out. Because the devil defeated uh, was defeated from his death by the power of Jesus' death, uh, his death blow, We're, we are delivered from being enslaved to the fear of death. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Look at the verse, last part of 14, uh, 14b. So that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Held in slavery by the fear of death. Remember that thing we just said about slave? Folks, we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about death anymore. And you know what? We're also freed from the illusion or or the denial and, and the escape from the from this distraction, this slavery, we we can now live in the full face of death without worry. I'm not going to go out and look for it, but you know when I see those signs that say "no fear," that should be our motto, shouldn't it? That should be what we're wearing, right next to Nike. You know, that Nike means victory, right? In in, in Greek, and we should also say "no fear." We don't have it, so let's look at it. Here's the process, or what you should know is the point. You're human. Yep, anybody here not human? I'm making sure we got, I'm in the right place. Okay, you're human. Christ became a human, just like you and me, so that he might die for you and me. To destroy the deadly power of the, uh, of the devil, his power of death, so that you might be free from the slavery to fear and live in freedom with him for all eternity you like that yeah it's a good thing to know isn't it so look so let's go back to this how does this work how does Christ's death defeat the power of death the devil holds and he still holds it not over you and me if you've received Christ if you know him if you let him come in and live in you then you don't have to have that fear anymore so how does Christ dying defeat the Satan who has the power of death God reminds us in verse 16, I just want you to know we're going to skip through this one real quick, that, what, that he's doing this for humans. He's not doing it for the angels. Remember all that stuff we just did on the angels and supreme and how Christ is supreme? He's not doing this for the angels. He's doing this for you and me. And, and he's not helping the angels this time. He's helping you and me. He's helping his family. If we're part of the family of God. He's helping his family. Verse 17 says, and since Christ is here to deliver humans, as it says the children of Abraham, that's humans, and not angels. And then 17 says, for this reason he has had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in, to the, service, in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. You know what? Christ became like us as a human, right? But as a human, he became like us, it says, in many ways. And here's another way that's really important. As a high priest, Do you ever think of it that way? Why would that be? You and I need a high priest? Yeah, we do. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Just like he became like us in order to destroy him who holds the power of death, which we just read about in 14 and 15. Now he's become like us to make atonement, atonement to us with God. You may have that word propitiation. Anybody have that? Okay. I love those words. Those big words like propitiation. You know, I, I think that's just these theologians showing how they have command of multisyllabic words, right? And also show that they know how to spit real well. In, 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 uh, in verse 14, Christ became like us so that he could die and overcome the devil with his power of death. And his, you know, he's got all the power of death is what he uses for his, in his arsenal. In verse 17, it says that, Christians became, uh, that Christ became like us so that he might become a high priest to make atonement for sins. Christ overcame the devil's power in death by his high priestly work of making atonement for our sins or propitiation for our sins. Do we understand that? Atonement, propitiation, we get what all that means? God has to pour out his wrath on sin to get rid of it. That's his just way of doing things. He can't be in the presence of sin, so it has to be destroyed. When you and I have sinned, it had to be destroyed, or we can't have fellowship with God. Sin is separation from God. So that had to be destroyed. And Christ overcame the, the devil's power of making us worry about sin, of slavery and worry about, by becoming a high priest and making the atonement offerings, the sin offering to God. and. Uh, or our propitiation. That's what that means. God pouring out his wrath, appeasing himself so that He we can come into his presence. In verse 17, it says that Jesus became like us so that he could be our high priest. In the Old Testament, God made a lot of specific rules about how he was to be worshipped, how he was to be approached. You couldn't even come into his presence. Yet, first of all, it took the special other... Non-tribe, the priests, and the priests were to be the ones, only ones that God approved to come before Him and make all of these offerings. And here is the thing: even a high priest had to have his whole life in a priestly order, live in it before he could come before God. You know, he he had to have the right clothes. Matter of fact, God even told him how to take a bath. God told him how to dress, told him how how he because to come before God, that was a very special thing. No man could last long. As a matter of fact, once a year when they made the high offering, you know, they tied little bells to the guy's robe and put a rope on his ankle. Because if he got nuked in there, something went wrong, they wouldn't be able to pull him back out. So it's a really special thing to come before God and, and to make these offerings special clothing, special rules, even, even the, the sacrifice that they chose had to be without blemish, had to be perfect. And then there was a special way they even slaughtered it special way that they offered it to God when they put it on the altar you know it had to be even the way that it was burned up and destroyed or God consumed it. so that was a special thing about a priest, especially the high priest but why did Jesus have to become a human like us in order to be a high priest? Jesus is the high priest and and here's the thing. He had to bring the perfect, unblemished offering, the final offering, for God to pour out all of his wrath on the sin, since it was a sin offering. And we were enslaved as sinners, right? So he had to bring the perfect, unblemished offering. And you know what it was? Himself. Himself. He needed to be a human high priest to do that, didn't he? Of flesh and blood. Become a man like you and me. It's the only way God would accept it. He had to lay down his life. You know, we take that communion. We did a while ago. I think about the broken body, the human body of Jesus Christ, offered as a sacrifice. And the perfect blood had the life of God in it. That was spilled for you and me. Jesus Christ was the offering once and for all. The final offering. Hebrews seven twenty-seven says, and like the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanses our consciences from the acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? And Hebrews 9.26 says, But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to go away, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for you. And for me. So Christ became human. Like us. To work as the high priest. So he could make the supreme sacrifice. The only one that God would accept. The only one that God could pour out. All of the wrath of God on. Jesus Christ. His son. God himself. The ultimate perfect and final sacrifice. Had to be human in order to die for you and me but the purpose of Christ is that the work of the high priest was that he might make atonement for the sins of the people while back in verse 14 the aim of the death of Christ is to destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil Christ destroys the power of the devil by making atonement for our sins how does this work what does this atonement this propitiation, really mean it means that Christ took God's righteous just judgment you see God is a just God he couldn't let sin get away he has to be destroyed right so he has to be a just God and get rid of it pour it all out Christ took God's judgment for us on himself he took all of that away We're not going to be judged like the people who don't accept Jesus Christ. We have Christ, our intercessor. He takes away God's anger at us for our sins. And when Christ dies, he is perfectly cleared, record cleared. God is satisfied because the perfect sacrifice has been made Hebrews 4:15 reminds us for we do not have have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Anybody here been tempted this week? you don't have to raise your hands I oh, never mind forget that. yeah that happened to anybody I'm sure it has right His death is to suffer the guilt and the punishment for our sins, not his. Did you get that? He didn't have any sins. He'd been tempted. He'd been punished by man. He'd been, he suffered just like you and me. As a matter of fact, there's not any kind of suffering he doesn't know. He hasn't experienced. And yet, we kind of get hung up on our own suffering sometimes, don't we? Oh, how could God let this happen? Hmm, to test you, make you stronger? Lots of answers for that one, did not it? God's justice is satisfied. God is happy. He's happy with you and me because all of our sins are gone. He loved us enough to put his own son on the sacrificial altar to take the full blow of God's righteousness. Well, these are some hard things to really dwell on, isn't it? If you take this home and you dwell on it, you're going to find yourself falling down on your face, I believe, before a holy God Who's poured out all of His wrath on His own Son, so that you could live freely with Him, forever and ever. God, Christ dying in our place and satisfying God, removing His righteous anger from pouring out on us, so He didn't have to. I don't. I wouldn't want to be there when His wrath is poured out. Would you? And let me tell you, it's eternal. So in Christ, there is no condemnation because he came out of this cleared and uncondemned, and we're with him. Anybody here with Christ? Is everybody here with Christ? Yeah, yeah if you're not, you should do that now. You should change from being moved, from being enslaved to sin and be redeemed by Jesus Christ become part of the whole family of God. So how did this make the devil powerless? Hmm. It doesn't mean Christians didn't die of physical death. We're not going to die of physical death. We all are. Unless Christ decides to come back real soon. And it also doesn't mean that Satan can't kill us. Go read Revelation 2.10. But it does mean that the only weapon... The devil has against us in death is our sin. It's all he has. Nobody goes to hell because they're scared by the devil or even because they're possessed by a demon. Nobody's going to hell because they're harassed by the devil all day long because he's incessant sometimes, isn't he? I... Ever get shot at by the devil once? Well, he doesn't just fire one shot, does he? Um, you know what? You're not even going to hell if the devil's filled your head with hallucinations. Those are all smoke screens, folks. They're fake. They're not real. The only way anybody goes to hell is by unforgiven sin. That's it. The only reason anybody goes to hell is because of the power of their own sin. Satan uses. All Satan can do is continually fight to keep you sinning and to keep you away from the one who is able and who will forgive your sins and who does forgive your sins and who has already died for your sins. If you received him, then you don't have to worry about it, do you? You don't have to have this fear of death. When your sin is forgiven and the wrath of God is turned away from you, then the devil is powerless. Amen? Amen. He is. Do you know that? Do you believe that? The only deadly tactic the devil has is, is to accuse you of sin and, and to seduce you into and and to sin, to keep you away from Christ who forgives and removes the wrath of God who's already done it. And when your sins are forgiven and the wrath of God is removed from you and poured out on Jesus, you stand righteous with Jesus before God. And we do that by what? We walk by faith, thank you, not by sight or the illusions or, or the distractions that the devil puts in front of us. God is for you and he's not against you. And the devil... Is brought to his knees, powerless. He can't do anything to destroy you if you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you'll live there. Which leaves us one very one last very brief observation on verse 18. It's um, granted that the fear of death is taken away and, and we are freed, but what about the pain and the losses? that lead up to death I'm talking about sufferings in this world Uh, that is another question ask yourself I won't ask for any hands anybody suffered this week had pain and suffering yeah you don't have to raise your hands I'm just waving at you because you're a brother right yeah amen we have (laughs) someone would say I heard this when I was in seminary it's not death I'm afraid of it's dying yeah, I'm uh, that way. It's it's the degeneration, though, the suffering in getting there, the, the, the loss of, of of human powers. You know, even even uh, the humiliation of, of uh, senility, which we're seeing around. You know, that's one thing that made me sad, makes me sad about Billy Graham, is that you know he's he's has this disease where he's fading away. But you know what he says when he does write, what he does say, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. What about the trials and the temptations Uh, when we give up in despair because we have too much suffering and too much in front of us? Be encouraged by verse 18. Listen to this. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, Christ took on weak vulnerable human nature not only so he could experience death but also he could experience dying that means he's able to sympathize with the temptations we have and the suffering and the dying as a matter of fact I believe he's already he suffered through every temptation that we've ever had there's a lot to indicate that I don't believe he's he had any temptations any suffering that any one of us had and he's had all of it because he died for all of us you know so when you get the temptation to get angry guilty sometimes we get resentful we get gloomy we get depressed we get wrapped up in all this self-pitying and and all that and unbelieving in the goodness of God unbelieving that Jesus understands that suffering and he can He can take us out of it that's wrong you know what that's a weakness in our own faith isn't it our own faith in Jesus Christ he knows and he's been through I believe all of our sufferings and because he's been through it already and he's overcome all these temptations he, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the overcomer he is the victor. He has overcome it all. Huh. Again, that's the word Nike. Well, we got to get us some shoes, aren't we? Some church yeah. tennis What do you think? T- say Nike on them. Yeah, we do that. We're following the victor. That's who we're following. Jesus Christ has already won all of this. You know what? If you're, if you're following a man or a program or something like that, that somebody else says, yeah, that felt good, forget it. We're following Jesus Christ. And when he's already suffered, and we're going to have suffering. You know what? When you became a, a Christian, and if you're outward spoken about what Christ has done for you in the workplace or the walk place or wherever you are, everybody said, yay, right? Mm-mm, not at all. You know what? We're going to be persecuted, and we're going to suffer. Praise the Lord. Jesus has already overcome all of it because he's already done it. And we are victors in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Bottom line, not only do you have the word of God this morning proclaiming that you are free from slavery to the fear of death, you also have a word from God this morning that when the trial comes and you're dying and in are suffering in this world, when you're tempted to despair or self-pity or resentment or anger or unbelief, Christ will come and help you. It's a promise. We just don't go to Him, do we? We don't go to Him enough. Sometimes we don't go to Him at all. You know, one thing I do know, I said this earlier in the week, um, Christ is the only one that's still working. And He's working for you and me. And you know what? All I have to do is place my faith in Him and in Him only. He's already won the battle. Anything that I'm suffering through, He's already won it. It's all over. So He's d- done the work and He continues to do the work. All I do is place my faith in Him and follow Him. I have to follow Him because you know what? He does have a plan. He has a plan for this congregation. He has a plan for everybody here and I, I know that when we all come together and follow his plan, we're following Jesus Christ, we're going to be marched with him in Revelation 21 when this, the great army of God is, is in the victory march behind our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I, I love that picture, don't you? We need to get together and line up under him and follow him and his plan. Christ will help us. It says here He will above everything. He's supreme already by the angels and everything that we read. And He's here to help us. And He's already been the greatest help we could ever have. That is, He's given us eternal life by His death on the cross. You know what? He also promises in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that He's going to give us either a way out or the ability to endure with His help through everything that we have. You know what? He is the victor. He has overcome for you. He is merciful and faithful high priest, and he will do it. Amen. 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 Lord, we come before you this morning, just like your your scripture describes, lined up, Lord, behind you, following you. Lord, we may not know where the next path, where the next step is going to be that you lead us through. But if we know, Lord, at the end is glory. At the end, Lord, is eternal glory with you at your feet, but by following you. Oh, Lord, you be honored and blessed by every heart that's here today that is, that has fallen before you as Savior and Lord and as our leader. Lord, we follow you. Our faith is in you, Lord, because you are Savior and our Lord and your love never ends. Praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.